All right, we need to probably talk about what happened last night. I had a, uh, man, I had, I had a perfect illustration written if we had won that game. And uh, so not only did Kentucky once again rip my heart out, they ruined my sermon intro. Um, I, I'm assuming a lot of you know, if you don't know, um, if you're one of the normal people who may not know these things, uh, we, Kentucky football uh, has just a history of uh, misery and uh, and we have lost to Florida 30, well, 31 times, um, 30 going into last night. It's a good chance to beat them. We were up in the fourth quarter, and, um, and we did what Kentucky football does. So here we are. And um, you know what I found myself doing in the fourth quarter as we, as, as, as we started to do the Kentucky football thing and the game started to slip away? I actually caught myself uh, wondering what I had done to cause this. Um, now I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm a pastor. I, I'm a theologian who believes in the absolute sovereignty of God. So, of course, I'm not superstitious, um, but I'm a little stitious. And, and um, so while I was sitting in the stands watching Florida come back, I started thinking, I have been in attendance at this stadium every home game against Florida for the past 30 years, and we have lost every single one of them. Um, I've been on my couch watching every game this season, and we had won every one of them. What am I doing here? Um, so anyway, I apologize. This was all my fault. <laughs> now listen, I, I, admit, I freely admit this is crazy, but if you are a sports fanatic, you know exactly what I'm, I'm talking about, this little game you play with yourself. Um, and here's what I think. Do you know what I think is really going on behind our ridiculous... Uh, sports superstitions. Um, I think it's our way to feel like in some way we contribute. We have these teams that we um, have so much vested in that we want to win so badly and yet we are completely helpless to do anything about it. It is, it is completely out of our control when it comes to the outcomes of these games so I think what we do is we can try ways that in our mind we can contribute and help the team out. Even though it's ridiculous to think that we can contribute in any way. And this is actually a really good way uh, to think about our religious self-righteousness. Um, we want so badly for our salvation to be true and we just can't accept that we are helpless and out of control when it comes to its success. And so what we do is we get superstitious with our own salvation. We contrive ways to contribute so that somehow we can participate. Somehow we can have, we can take back control of this thing. Somehow we can add something to this because deep down we don't truly trust in its success. In our passage this morning, Jesus is going to confront that tendency that is within every single one of us. He is going to say to us, I have to do all the work, and I can't let you do any of the work if salvation is ever going to work. We're going to see two things, the Savior who serves, and then we're going to ask the question, will you let the Savior serve? Let's start with Jesus, the way he's presenting himself here as the Savior who serves. 
Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter. Again, this is last week. He's knelt down, put on the uniform of a household servant, knelt down at the feet of his disciples. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now, I think we can all understand Peter's surprise here. After all, weren't we all surprised last week at this vision? Jesus kneeling um, in his underwear like a household slave to wash the disciples' feet. We can't imagine anything uh, more unbecoming of our Lord. So Peter's question makes sense. It's understandable. And you can see that Jesus is really patient with his question. Verse 7, Jesus answered him, look, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you're going to understand. And we're going to return to that statement because it's an important one. But for now, what we see here is Jesus saying, look, I get it. I completely understand that you don't understand this, that this is strange, that this is awkward, this is uncomfortable. I get it, but eventually it's going to make sense. The problem, though, the problem is that Peter's confusion and question turns into protest, all-out protest, as Peter often does with Jesus. Verse 8, Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Now, on the surface, that actually seems like the right thing to say. I think it's probably what I would think would be the right thing to say. No, 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 Jesus. You shall never wash my feet. So noble, so honorable, so virtuous, and yet so proud. What's really going on when being served makes you uncomfortable? And doesn't it? What's really going on when it's easier for us to give than to receive? What's really going on when we refuse help, but we're always the one who likes to help? What's really going on when we invite the vulnerability of others, but cannot get vulnerable ourselves? What's really going on when it would be far easier for us to wash the feet of Jesus than to have our feet washed by Jesus. What's going on there is pride. Peter could not articulate it, but hidden behind this well-meaning protest, and I do believe it's well-meaning, hidden behind this well-meaning protest is a deep-seated arrogance. Peter doesn't want to need Jesus' service. He wants Jesus to need his service. But that's not the way things work with Jesus. Peter needs Jesus. Jesus needs nobody. And Jesus is uncompromising in that relational construct. Look what he says next. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Those are some strong words. Some of the strongest words we hear from Jesus in the Gospels. If I don't wash your feet, you have no share with me. You can't have me, Peter. If you are going to have a relationship with Jesus, then it is going to be on his terms. And his terms are him kneeling at your feet, serving you, not the other way around. That's the arrangement. So let me state this as clearly as Jesus is stating it for us. 
Jesus will not have a relationship with you if you will not let him serve you. And here's why. He refuses to let Peter or any of us hijack his gospel and turn it into just another run-of-the-mill religion. Religions at their core are systems that provide humanity a way to serve God. That's what they are. And that's why religions are so appealing to us. And that's why religions seem so right and natural to us. It just makes sense. Here's what God says you have to do. Those who do it get rewarded. Those who don't do it get punished. There. That's clean. That makes sense. But the problem is that what is right and natural to us is self-centeredness and pride. So we should be very skeptical of any religious concept that makes sense to us. Because they are probably just baptizing our pride. And that's what religions do. A sanctified way for you to be in control and you to prove yourself. But then comes Jesus with this gospel that makes no sense to our natural way of being. But this is because it is the gospel of a kingdom that makes no sense to our natural way of being. If we serve God, who is the hero of that story, you or God? Well, you, because you performed for God. But Jesus proclaimed a kingdom where God is the hero, not you. If we serve God, who is the needy one in this relationship? You or God? Well, God, because he needs your service. But Jesus proclaimed a kingdom where we are the needy and God is the provider. If we serve God, who's accepted? Who is acceptable? The, the self-righteous or the sinners? Well, the self-righteous, because they have proven themselves worthy of acceptance. <laughs> but Jesus proclaimed a kingdom where sinners are welcomed and the self-righteous are excluded. If we serve God, who is exalted and who is humbled? Well, the strong are exalted by their ability to perform, and the weak are humbled by their inability to perform. But Jesus proclaimed a gospel where the weak are exalted and the proud are humbled. And so the way Jesus remains faithful to these kingdom ambitions is he flips it and says, I have to serve you, and that will change everything. In these last moments with his disciples, he is unwavering with kingdom ethics. In the most vivid way, he flips the natural order and demands that his disciples let him wash their feet like a slave. This is a huge, huge discipleship moment for them. They have to get it and you have to get it. He has to get them comfortable with the uncomfortable idea of a God who serves. They have to accept this lest they be unable to accept what is about to happen. Now again, verse 7, Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. After what? You know, right? The cross. His ultimate act of service which at this point in the story is now looming. The shadow of the cross is growing nearer. 
So what he's doing here is he's preparing them for Calvary. If they can't accept Jesus on his knees, then how will they ever accept Jesus hanging from a cross? If they can't handle Jesus kneeling to wash their feet, then how will they ever handle Jesus bleeding to wash their sins? So in the name of the gospel and in defiance of religion, Jesus says it has to be this way. Peter, you have to let me wash your feet or you cannot have me. This is going to be our relationship. And he is saying the same to you this morning. You know, I warned you when we started the Upper Room Discourse that this vision of Jesus we were going to see is going to make us uncomfortable. And Jesus is here to make you uncomfortable, as uncomfortable as Peter is in this text. Religion is very comfortable. Jesus is very uncomfortable. So let's go there with application. Having seen the Savior who serves, let's now ask the question, will you let the Savior serve? Do not so easily dismiss that question. And just say, yes, of course, because I know that's the right answer. It really isn't as easy as you think. And I was truly burdened this week to show us how much we have Peter in us. I I was so burdened this week to show us how difficult it truly is for us to let Jesus serve. So before we look at how the passage answers this, What I thought I'd do is ask some kind of diagnostic questions that I think may show you how difficult this question really is for us. Let me ask you this. When it comes to your relationship with Jesus, do you constantly swing between the two poles of acceptance and rejection based upon your service? So on a good day of service, you feel accepted. On a bad day of service, you feel rejected. If that's a good description of your relationship with Jesus, then you are relating to Jesus as if you are the one who needs to wash his feet. And the only way out of that maddening cycle of acceptance, rejection, acceptance, rejection, is to let him serve you. He didn't come to have you serve him. He came to serve you. So why are you letting your service determine the well-being of your relationship? How about this one? Are you constantly comparing yourself to others? If so, then you are relating to Jesus as if you are the one who needs to wash his feet. You see, if we have to serve Jesus, if that's the nature of this thing we call Christianity, then other followers of Jesus become competition that you have to outperform. Therefore, you are ever vigilant to where you stand in that competition. Who's serving better than you? Who are you serving better than? Well, the only way to get out of the competition is to let Jesus serve you. Who cares where you stand in comparison to others? We all need the service of Jesus, so there's really nothing to compare. How about this one? Do you hate yourself? Are you riddled with just self-condemnation and self-loathing? If so, then you are relating to Jesus as if you are the one who needs to wash his feet. You see, if we have to serve Jesus, then deep down underneath the charade of that performance is a nagging truth that we are unfaithful servants. 
Even our best service is tainted by impure motives and we know it. So our service turns into this introspective nightmare, right? Constantly evaluating our service and constantly hating what we find there. Well, the only way out of your self-hatred is to let Jesus serve you. To see yourself as Jesus sees you, beloved, so, so loved that he, if he were here this morning, if he were here this morning, the only thing he would ask you to do for him, the only thing he would say, I, don't, I want you to do this for me, is to remove your shoes so I can wash your nasty feet. That's all he would ask. When you see yourself as the one Jesus gladly came to serve, then how can you hate yourself? Now, I know what you want to say to all of this. What about service, though? Aren't we servants of Jesus? Well, that's another good question to ask. What's the nature of your service? Do you you begrudgingly serve out of guilt and fear instead of joy and love? If so, you are relating to Jesus as if you are the one who needs to wash his feet. In that arrangement, you don't get to serve. You have to serve. And in this way, service becomes our slave master rather than our free and delightful response to his service. And what happens is that eventually you'll resent all service and you will give up. The only way to truly serve Jesus is to first let him serve you. And so I could go on and on with this, but the point I'm trying to show and the reason why I belabor it is I want you to see how difficult this is for all of us. We said our goal this year is for us to sit and to to come and sit at the feet of Jesus. Well, then we show up at the upper room to sit at his feet. And the first thing Jesus says to us, oh, you're going to have to let me sit at your feet. That's not what I expected. And we want to resist it, just like Peter does. We want to protest against the gospel, just like Peter does. Which is okay if, and here's the key to the passage, if upon that realization, you also respond like Peter does when he was confronted. When he says, To Peter, if you don't let me do this, you can have no part of me. How does he respond? And do you respond? Does that, does that, does Jesus saying to you, if you won't let me wash your feet, then you can have no part of me. Does that immediately lead you into verse nine? Simon Peter said to him, then Lord, not my feet, but my hands and my head. How beautiful is that? Right. Once again, Peter drives us crazy with his brash arrogance and then melts our hearts with his humble repentance. You can't wash my feet. Well, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have me. Well, then not my feet, but my head and my hands. Stubborn, prideful, resistant, though he may be, deep down in the apostle Peter is this. I love you, Jesus. I want you, Jesus. And if to have you, it means that I have to let you wash me, then wash all of me. So, will you let the Savior serve? Admittedly, we struggle with that question. But if to have Jesus, we must let Jesus serve, then those who belong to Jesus say, not just my feet, but all of me.
But that's not everyone. There is a stern warning here in this passage that is often overlooked when people think about this passage. Continue on verse 10. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. Now, that's, that's strange. Let me, let me just tell you what he's doing there. He's, he's, he's taken the illustration even further for Peter's own discipleship, and this is an important point that he's making to Peter and us. Here's what he's saying. Uh, he's taking the illustration forward to make this point. It's the, it's the justification, sanctification, tension of our salvation. He's saying that those who bathe have no need to wash again because you're already clean. Meaning, you don't get out of the shower and then get back in. You're clean. Except, he says, your feet. For that culture, that is what they had to continually wash throughout the day. So for us, it would be something like, um, if you get out of the shower, you don't have to get back in the shower. You're already clean, except you got to wash your hands during the day. Now, here's the point he's making, and it's an important one. There is both a definitive cleanliness and a continual cleansing to the Christian journey. That's our salvation. Justification. Jesus cleans us definitively. You are clean. Sanctification. Jesus continually cleanses us. So every week when we do the confession of sin and the repentance of sin and we hear his assurance of pardon, that's not our justification. You were clean when you walked in here. It doesn't make you clean. But we do need to every single week let Jesus wash our feet again. So Jesus is saying to Peter, even though I'm going to have to keep washing your feet, Peter, it's the way this is going to work, I want you to know, metaphorically speaking, you are clean. You're clean. But then continue on with the end of verse 10. You are clean, but not every one of you. Verse 11, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. The betrayal of Judas will be a pretty major theme in the weeks ahead, so I won't speak much to it this morning. But for now, this is what's going on. Jesus says, you are clean, Peter, but not all of you are clean. And then it says that Jesus said that because he knew who was going to betray him. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Both Peter and Judas are about to betray him. Two major themes of the upper room is, Judas, you're going to betray me. And Peter, you're going to deny me. But there's a difference. And brothers and sisters, there is an eternal difference. Peter is the type of betrayer who casts himself wholly upon Jesus saying, wash me, Savior. Wash all of me. Do you know what Judas does with his betrayal? He hides. He pretends. He denies. And when the consequences catch up to him, what he will do is he will try to cover up and fix his mistake, fix his wrong. He will try to clean up the mess. The one thing he will not do, even unto his own suicide, is cast himself upon the mercy of Christ and say, wash me, Savior. Ironically, the one who is about to get really busy trying to clean up the mess that he created is the one Jesus says you are not clean. And that is the difference. Both Peter and Judas are prideful men. Both Peter and Judas are colossal failures. Both Peter and Judas are betrayers of Jesus. But Peter relents and lets Jesus serve him. Judas would rather die in his own obstinacy 
than to let Jesus serve him. And so the famous foot washing ceremony ends with a sober warning for all of us. Not all of you are clean. But the irony of the passage is that it's not the one fighting with Jesus, it's the one hiding from Jesus. So let's close with that. Are you clean? The answer is that you are, if the answer is that you are trying to clean yourself up, then no, you are not clean. It's the irony. The application for you is to wrestle with that. You can keep on trying to control your life. You can keep on trying to clean yourself up through hiding, pretending, justifying, deflecting, blaming, and performing. You can keep on trying to prove yourself, but I want you to know your labor is in vain. If you want to go try to find a way to clean yourself, good luck, you'll be the first who's done it. But if you, like Peter, get confronted with this news and respond by saying, not just my feet, my head, my hands, wash me, Savior. Then I can say to you as definitively and certain as Jesus says to Peter in this passage, you are clean. Your application is to relax. You are clean. It's true. Jesus has cleansed you. Relax and enjoy the service of Jesus. Let him wash your feet. Knowing that his service is perfect. You know, that's, I would say that's the other thing about our sports superstition. We have them because victory is so fragile. I mean, we've lost 31 years in a row now. Clearly, Kentucky can't beat Florida, so I've got to figure something out kind of deal, right? Christian, when it comes to Jesus, there is nothing fragile about his ability. You don't have to do something. You can let go of the pressure to finish the work of Christ that is already finished, to fix what maybe he didn't get right. He cannot lose He will not lose. You can let him serve you because his service is perfect. Let me pray. Release us, O God, to humble ourselves and let you wash our feet. Free us from our performance. Let us relax and let you serve us. Lord, what a perfect application now. The sacrament of Christ's service on our behalf. But I pray if there are those here trying to clean themselves up, trying to perform, trying to hide, to deny, defend, justify, instead of just giving up and saying, clean me, Jesus, I pray they would, you would wake them up. And for us who cry out to you, not just my feet, but my hands and my head, I pray you would help us to leave here in assurance and relax in the service of our Savior. Bless this holy sacrament to our hearts, we pray.
Amen.